friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. I'm really happy to be here with you today. We've got a great show in store. And before we jump into today's conversation, I want to take a moment and tell you about one of our amazing partners, BetterHelp Online Therapy. Around here, we love to normalize going to therapy. I mean, we're willing to go to a gym or to a doctor for our physical health. We'll go to a church and join a small group for our spiritual health. Why not go to counseling for our mental health? You're going to hear a powerful story about the impact and importance of mental health in today's conversation. And going to therapy doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It means you're investing in and being a good friend to yourself to keep your mind healthy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Why invest in everything else and not your mind, you guys? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy, and our friends listening get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash that sounds fun. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash that sounds fun. Today on the show, I get to talk to Sheila Walsh. Y'all, she is the author of more than 30 books that have sold nearly 6 million copies. Uh, You probably have one on your shelf like I do. Even though she's a household name for so many of us, you might be surprised to learn about her battle with clinical depression and one that landed her in a psychiatric hospital alone and continues in many ways to this day. In her new book, Holding On When You Want to Let Go, Clinging to Hope When Life is Falling Apart, Sheila vulnerably shares the traumatic events of her childhood and the loneliness, anxiety, and depression that still creep into her life and how the coronavirus pandemic magnified her struggles in the last couple of years and the source of the hope that keeps her holding on each day and every day. I know you're going to be encouraged by her heart and her story and her wisdom and her Scottish accent, you guys. So here is my conversation with my friend, Sheila Walsh. Sheila, thank you so much for being on That Sounds Fun. Oh, it's absolutely an honor, Annie. I love your writing. This is the first time I actually get to meet you. you. I know, I know. It's surprising we haven't met in person before because we do so many of the same events, but we just are, we miss each other. Yeah, I know. That's true. And you're with so many of the same friends. Yes. Oh, Sheila, we share all the people. That is 100% true. Okay, (laughs) this is uh, my leading question to you is, will you tell me where you're from in Scotland? I'm from a little fishing town called Ayr, just uh-huh. south of Glasgow. Yes. Okay. Do you know I used to live in Edinburgh? No. Yes. I lived there for almost a year helping with a church plant there. Wow. I love Edinburgh. It's such a beautiful city. I am. Um, so I'm Scottish in my heart, even if I'm not in my accent, <laughs> Sheila. That's the truth. I'm very Scottish that. in my heart. And I actually have been to Ayr because I have a lot of friends. We used to do a camp. Uh, over in outside of Glasgow, I'm going to forget, I'm in Paisley. Oh, sure. Yeah. That's where Glasgow Airport is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we used to go over there every summer. I probably did a, a summer camp there five years in a row, maybe. And wow. Yeah, our church, my church in Atlanta would partner with a church there, and we would do, we would take our summer camp and do it for Scottish kid. It was so fun. That's amazing. I know. It's awesome. So I love it. What do you miss about living over there? I miss my sister. Yeah. I miss the hills. And I miss, there's a place I used to go on the beach. Because our ocean in Scotland, it's not like Florida. Or, you know, I mean, it's, it's wild and rugged. And, and I love that. I used to love on rainy days, go and watch the ocean just speak volumes. Yeah. I miss that. Yeah. Rainy days being every day. 
that would be every day. Yes, I think there's one dry day in June. <laughs> That's exactly right. In June or July, you have a shot. But I cannot tell you when I moved home how many pairs of shoes I just chucked because it was like they they did not survive this winter, this weather, the rain. American shoes do not know what to do over there. Now, in fact, somebody said to me when I first came over to America, gosh, your skin looks really moisturized. What do you do? What do you use? And I said, I grew up in Scotland. It's right. soaked every day since That's I was right. born. That's right. I mean, it, it just became part of no matter what the morning looked like, I did not leave my house without a raincoat or an umbrella because it was like, yeah. I know it looks beautiful, but I also know what happens today at some point. I know. And I grew up wearing wellies. Everybody oh, has yeah. Wellington boots. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone, you if you show up wet, people are fine. Like it'll, no one's surprised if someone shows up somewhere wet. No, it's expected. Really. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I found the people, uh, the West Coast particularly, the people to be very similar to Southern people. There's just yeah. a lot of like kindness, and the speed is similar, and the we feed you to make you feel better is similar, and it just felt like uh, the more time I spent with my friends on the West Coast, the more I felt like. Are we all one people group that just got split yeah. over the ocean? That's so true because Edinburgh, the, the East Coast, is a little more snooty. Yes. But the West Coast, like my Aunt Mary, if I went to see my Aunt Mary, I had to be on a diet for two weeks afterwards. <laughs> right. because she, she would home bake all these things and you had to have one of, of everything yeah. and you'd really offend her. Yeah, that's right. I love Yeah, I, I love the people. It, it is amazing to me, a country you can drive from East to West in what? Three hours? Can you get from coast to coast in three? Oh, I think you could probably do it in an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> that train, because I used to take yeah. the train over from Edinburgh to Glasgow because a lot of concerts that come to town or come to Scotland mm-hmm. didn't come to Edinburgh. So I yeah. would go over and hear like Brooke Frazier, all these people. I'd go to yes. Glasgow to hear them. And I would take the train back the same night. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. and, and so it's amazing how different the cultures are, even just a train ride apart. That's what was so strange for me when I first came to America. I opened for a, an artist called Phil Peggy. Oh, yeah. And the first, our first date was in Texas. We drove for days. And I'm like, <laughs> are we still in Texas? Right. It's, it's bizarre. <laughs> when y'all first moved to the States, did you move straight to Texas or did you start somewhere else? No, I actually moved to Laguna Beach in California. It was the first place I was. And I'm like, I love America. Right. <laughs> what <beautiful>. a switch. <laughs> yeah. And then I lived in, I lived in California for a while. Then I lived in Virginia Beach for a while. Then I lived in Nashville for a while. And now we're in Texas. Okay. How, I moved to Nashville in 2008. How long ago did you guys leave? Let's see. We moved to Nashville when our son was one and he's now 24. And we left when he was, yeah, I don't have my calculator. It was a while ago. (laughs) Well, because when we were setting this up, I said to my team, I was like, I think Sheila lives in Nashville and we just haven't crossed paths. So maybe I just had that tucked in my brain from one of your books somewhere that I knew you had at some point lived here. But now you're in Dallas. And I love Nashville. Honestly, I miss it. I miss, what I miss most about Nashville is so many of my friends live there. Yeah. You know, it's just so, and in Dallas, it's like my hair's not big enough for Dallas, but (laughs) here I am. And you're right. You're a good 45 minutes from any of your friends, no matter which direction. Yeah. Absolutely. It's wild. Okay. Will you tell me about life today? All all of our friends have been on and absolutely love it. How did you get into the TV world? You know, it's, it's really interesting because my first TV gig, I worked with the BBC in London, um, 
after I graduated from seminary, they were looking for someone to host one show on contemporary Christian music, and they didn't know anybody who was a who was a Christian. So they asked a friend of mine, a guy called Cliff Richard, who's a big pop star in the UK, but is also a believer. And he said, well, I have a friend, Sheila Walsh, you know, why don't you talk to her? So we did this one program and they thought it would just be a disaster, but it, they got so much response. We ran for five years. Oh, wow. Um, and then I came to America and I worked on the 700 Club for five years. And now, but life today is my primo job because I, I get to do everything I love. I mean, I, I love interviewing authors and finding new musicians that are just that maybe nobody's heard of yet, yeah. but they're like, you've got to hear these people. But I also get to do our, we have these three specific outreaches. One's called Rescue Life. So I get to go to Phnom Penh, Cambodia or Bangkok, Thailand, and work with our people who rescue girls out of sex trafficking wow. and set them on a whole new path. And, and I, I spend a lot of time in Africa where we set up feeding programs and drill water wells. But the wow. thing I love about the people I work with, it's never this, here comes our big white saviors in to save the day. We, we find out who's God using in this country mm. and how can we underwrite what they're doing yes. and listen to them. So yeah. I love that. I just love it. Um, tell me what you love about interviewing so much, because I do too. Uh, well, to me, it's fascinating. I love to listen. Like, I'm not a huge talker, talker, talker. I'm really an introvert. But when you listen to people, and even if it's an author, you know, but it's like you get these questions from the PR company. Uh -huh. And I'll ask the first one just to see where it goes. But they'll say something. And I think, now that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And there was a little look in your eye when you said that that made me think yeah. there's more there. Yeah. So it's just, I'm just fascinated by, by people. One of my favorite Jewish writers said, I think God made people because he loves stories. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I find myself endlessly curious about people. And this has been the medium that that's appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise you're a stalker. That's yeah, right. Otherwise I'm a stalker or I'm too nosy or I'm a gossip. There's all sorts of other ways this has played out <laughs> in my legit. life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this somehow this became my job. <laughs> I think it is so fun. Uh, one of the things I love about you fr from a distance up until now when our friendship has now begun, but our mutual friends say this, everyone really looks up to how you talk about the gospel and how you share about Jesus. Now, but your your new book, Holding On When You Want to Let Go, really dives into this kind of behind the scenes of depression. Yeah, Will you talk about holding both of those things? You can get up on a stage on a Saturday in front of 10,000 women and talk about Jesus and then crumble in your hotel room that same day. Yeah, absolutely. Back in 1992, I was hospitalized for a month with severe clinical depression. I basically wow. had not dealt with my father's death. My father was my hero and he had a massive brain aneurysm and my dad Unfortunately, my dad tried to kill me before he killed himself. Right. And oh back in those days, you didn't talk about suicide, particularly mm -hmm. if you're a Christian, mm -hmm. and anything to do with mental illness, because he died in a psych hospital. We oh, just, wow. he was buried in an unmarked grave, and we <gasps> left town, and we never Sheila. mentioned his name again. And I just stuffed all that for years. But but the foundation stone at the kind of basement of my soul was there is something wrong with me. Mm. Because if your dad, who once really loved you, um, could suddenly seem to hate you, there's something intrinsically wrong with you. Wow. And so I stuffed that for as long as I could. And then right. one day, and it was a simple encounter with a kind person. You know, I was, 
I, I, I was kind of a well-known, very lonely person. You know, I kept this wall around my life. And one day this sweet woman just looked me in the eyes and asked me, how are you doing? And I wasn't expecting it. And I didn't have time to pull up my wall. And I just crumbled. Wow. And by that evening, I was in the locked ward of a psych hospital, same age as my father. Were you already so married? Did you already have kids? No. Mm -mm, okay. No, I didn't marry my husband until I was 38. Oh, hey, let's talk about that. I'm 41. Let's talk about it. <laughs> we're going to talk about that, Sheila Walsh. You just hang on. Man, so you were and then the same age as your dad then in, were you already a believer at that point? Yeah, I yeah. became a believer when I was 11. Yeah. But the interesting thing was I became a believer through a very broken window. You know, when mm. my mom my was the one who prayed for me, and when she said, not only is Jesus, you know, you're number one in life, now you have a heavenly father. And that would be good news to a lot of people. But I remember thinking at 11, wow, I've got one more chance to get it right. Oh, Whatever my dad saw in me that made him hate me, I cannot afford to let that happen again with God. So I thought... I'm going to be the perfect Christian if it kills me. Yeah. And they almost, almost did. did. Yeah. One of the quotes from the book that I loved is you said, why are so many of us who love Jesus so unhappy? Why are we just hanging on by a thread? Why do we struggle in our relationships? Why is everything a little disappointing? Why is nothing quite as great as we thought it would be? Ooh, Sheila, that messes with me. But it's so true. It's like, but I think it's because I feel like, remember the woman that we meet, I think it's in Mark 5, and she's never named. She's called the woman with the issue of blood. Yes. She came it bothers to... me so much how many women in the Bible don't have names, by the way, but it's I know. Oh, I know. Uh, Sheila. <laughs> I mean, there are men too. There are men too, but yeah. ooh, it does not, there are a lot church of women. History tells us her name was Veronica. Oh, early, yeah. Some of the early church fathers mentioned her, but we'll it her doesn't Veronica. make it into the Bible. So yeah, yeah bad. Anyway, but she came for a specific miracle. She wanted the bleeding to stop. Yeah. And, and when that happened, she could have left, and, but she would not have received the miracle she needed, which was wow. telling Jesus the whole truth. I wow. think it's so interesting that he stopped and said, who, who touched me? Yeah. And she has a bit, it's like big, big decision time. But because she fell at his feet and told him everything, then he said to her, go in peace. And yeah. I think that's what happened. I think I gave my life to Christ at 11. But I'm, but I end up in this psych hospital at 34, and for the first time, I told Jesus everything. Mm. I told him I wished I was dead. I told him I didn't like my life. I told him I didn't want to go through this. So if he was kind enough to take me home, I would be very grateful, because yeah. I didn't want to kill myself and do that to my mom. You know mm -hmm. that she, she would go through that twice. But it just felt this is too much, yeah. and it was one of God's greatest gifts to me to end up in a psych hospital. Really? I mean, it, I think so many of our friends listening would have looked at your life and not known any of this, you know, like oh, just, sure. unless, I mean, you've taught about it some and you've walked around it, but, but you go so deep into it, into hold, in holding on when you want to let go. I think there's a lot of wisdom that, I think this is interesting for people to hear that you're telling a lot of stories from 1992, from decades ago up till now why was this the right time to write this book instead of 1995 or instead of never? <laughs> yeah, that's that definitely was an option that I considered. Right. Um, <laughs> because my depression, I mean, I've been on a pretty even keel. You know, I, I was prescribed medication back then. I take that faithfully every day. And I know some of the things to do to kind of keep myself in check. Yeah. 
But maybe halfway through 2020, yes. I found myself really spiraling again. Yeah. And, you know, obviously all my events were canceled. As, you know, life was canceled, yeah. generally speaking. Yeah. And I remember I would wake up every morning with such a, a feeling of despair mm-hmm. and heaviness. Mm-hmm. And every now and again, I would watch the news. I tried not to, but I would see there was one that just killed me because it was on our local news. It was um, a woman and she was probably, I don't know, 70. And her husband was in hospital with COVID. He was in, you know, intensive care. And all she wanted was to be able to go and say goodbye. Mm. And she wasn't allowed to. And it just, I mean, I just thought the world has gone crazy. Yeah. And so that's when I started to write because it was like, okay, God, this is a whole new ballgame. I don't know how to live in this normal. I mean, mm-hmm. a while ago, you know, they gave me some tools and I've learned some things yes. and it's good. I mean, I have bad days and good days, but I'm OK. This is a whole new normal and I'm not OK and I'm not sure I can do this. Mm-hmm. I think there are so many of us that didn't have the knowledge or the capacity to handle what a pandemic does to a life. Like we just didn't know. It was our great grandparents who experienced right. anything like this. And I've heard John Eldridge say that we drained our reserves and we may feel okay today, but if someone said, hey, we're going on lockdown again tomorrow, like they've done in Australia, we see that our reserves are empty, (laughs) that that feels, it feels impossible. Like, I just feel like I would rage (laughs) in some sort of way. And what made it hard, harder for me too, is our son, Christian, who's 24, he was in grad school in Houston. So for a whole year, he's in this apartment by himself with his cat. And I wanted to go because he got COVID and and I couldn't. And when I would be doing, you know, these Zoom calls or FaceTime calls with him, I could see he was disappearing a little bit more Mm. every day. And I could tell that his anxiety level was off the charts. And he would try to be like, no, mom, I'm good. But I mean, I could feel it. You're the mom. Yeah. Yeah. That he was not doing well. And that made it that made it so much worse. Yes. You know, how do we do this? And you're right, John's right. It was like whatever sand was left in that whole egg timer. Yeah. Every, every last grain was gone. Hey friends, just interrupting this conversation real quick to share about another one of our incredible partners, Brooklinen. Okay, have you ever wondered if you could like pull off just wearing your comforter from your bread all day? Okay, let me tell you. (laughs) Y'all, hand to heaven, Brooklinen's new loungewear is basically the socially acceptable equivalent of wearing a duvet all day. It is so cozy. I have the t-shirt and I have the joggers and hand to heaven, you guys. I have put them on my body every single day since I got them. All winter long, you are going to see me in these not real pants. I mean, they are unbelievable. It's the button-free, zipperless, softest clothing option. Finally, your comfort dreams are coming true. So are mine. And while we still like have to get out of bed, you can bring the ridiculously soft fabrics that Brooklinen always finds into your days with you. This loungewear, it's almost unreal. You'll look like a person, even if you're totally vegging out in your mind. Brooklinen has been listening to what we all need most, and they responded with ultra comfy loungewear at a fair price. This loungewear has classic cuts and no zippers for limitless comfort that you can pull off in real life. Be cozy all day. You guys, we can be cozy all day. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. 
Bonus points. Brooklinen offers bundle deals on loungewear so you can get more comfort for less money. And if you're looking for more ways to enhance your comfort, check out Brooklinen's candles and eye masks and accessories to properly celebrate your chill. There's a reason Brooklinen has over 75,000 five-star reviews and counting. I am going to go write one today for that loungewear, you guys. Go on, get comfortable and get it for less at Brooklinen. Go to brooklinen.com and use the promo code that sounds fun to get $20 off with a minimum purchase of $100. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter the promo code that sounds fun for $20 off with a minimum purchase of $100. That's brooklinen.com promo code that sounds fun. And if you want to be twinsies, my pants are green and my shirt is white. Let's all be comfy together. And now let's get back to our conversation with Sheila. So did you start writing this while we were still in the middle? Were you like, one of my healing moves will be writing? Or did you kind of get to the end of 2020? That book can't, I mean, I don't know how fast they'll get your books out because you're a huge deal. So maybe they can turn it around real fast for you. But how, how did you, how, when did you start writing and what was the motivation to like, I've got to get this moving now? I honestly didn't start writing it as a book for publication. I started oh. writing it more as a kind of journal, journal for myself. Because yeah. My um, spiritual mentor before she died was Ruth Graham. Sometimes yeah. when Billy would be off at crusades, I would go and stay at the house with Ruth. And she poured so much wisdom into me. And she said, Sheila, when you're struggling or when you're trying to find out something, don't just read what's current. Go as far back as you can, because those who've gone before us have left a roadmap. Wow. And so I found this thing by Athanasius, who wrote in the fourth century. And one of the things he said just captivated me. He says, for as most of scripture speaks to us, the Psalms speak for us. They give us a language of lament. They give us a language of pain, of questions. So what I started to do, we live in a little um, townhome and it's got three levels. Uh And I would go out every morning. I did it today. I'll go out in the balcony and I read three Psalms out loud because it's good for my ears to hear what my eyes are reading. And it's like a declaration of what I believe to be true no matter what I might be feeling at that particular moment. And I found that really healing. And it gave me, the other thing that I'm a huge believer in is pouring out your pain, but in the presence of Christ, Mm. as opposed to, I'll be back in a minute, but I have some things I need to do over here. You know, I think of how he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, just processing his pain in the presence of his father. And I found that that leaves more space for grace in my own Mm. heart. I don't, I'm not careful with my words. I don't, you know, think, how is this going to sound up in the heavenly courts? I just pour it all out. And it feels very cleansing for me. Yeah. How do you pick which three Psalms you're reading out loud every day? I make a discipline. I have this wee book. Oh, oh, it's still out in the balcony. I have this wee (laughs) book and it's, it's just all the Psalms. Dr. David Jeremiah gave it to me. Oh, no, it's here. And it's just called, it's called The Focused Life. Okay. And it just, every day it's three Psalms and one chapter of Proverbs. And it's just, and it's made me go through the Psalms that I missed before because I thought, well, that's not a very upbeat Psalm and that's far too long. You know, so (laughs) the discipline of going through all the Psalms has made me pick up things that I would have missed before because it's not a Psalm that I landed on. Yeah. And it's been really great. What a great, um, as I'm, we're, we've been talking here at the show a lot about prayer and Psalm 23 keeps coming up as a theme that people go back to. Have you found that one particularly to be a part of the 
healing for you? Do you know what's interesting to me? If you really break that psalm down, there are 10 of the names of God in that one psalm. Oh Just gosh. even starting from the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah. But the thing I love is um, my mom was a farm accountant in our town. And so she did the books for all the farmers of the shepherds, which gave me excellent access to lambing season. I was allowed <laughs> to go and watch the wee lambs being yeah. born. But every now and then there's a strange phenomenon where um, a ewe will give birth to a lamb and she'll immediately reject it. And they're called bummer lambs. Huh. And then the shepherd has to take that lamb into his house and feed it by, you know, with a bottle and keep it warm. And at least at some part during the day, he'll cl- hold it close to his heart so the lamb can hear a heartbeat. Uh-huh. And when it's strong enough, it goes back to the flock. But this is the thing I, I loved seeing. In the morning when the shepherd comes out and he'll call sheep, sheep, sheep. The first ones to run to him are the bummer lambs yeah. because because they know his voice. Yeah. And I just think that's like, I will be a bummer lamb until the day I die. But it's not the bad news anymore. It's the yeah. good news. Yeah. It's not that Jesus loves his bummer lambs anymore. It's just that we actually have been flat on our faces, broken, mm-hmm. dead, done. Yeah. And he picked us up and held us close to his heart. Yeah. I mean, that throughout the book, you do go through these hold on and then how God is holding on to us. And will you talk about why both of those promises matter? Not just the, here are the promises of why we can hold on and what we should hold on to, but why it matters that God holds on to us as the bummer lambs. Yeah, I think that that perhaps for me is the biggest deal. Because I, like, like I was doing a little study, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible is Romans chapter 8. I mean, I can't wait to get to he- go to heaven and say Paul. No, high five, high Paul. Five. Brilliant job. Sheila, you need to know that Paul and I aren't best friends. Peter and I are best friends, but Paul and I aren't best oh. friends. But Romans 8 this fall has has is bringing me more around and more around on Paul. I totally get that. I totally get And I love Peter too. I identify more with Peter than I do with Paul. But the thing I love about Romans chapter 8 is that well-known verse, you know, that everybody quotes Romans 8, 28. I used to have a bit of a problem with that because huh. I'm thinking, How can anything good come from my father's suicide? Mm. How can anything good come from my friend who lost two children? Don't tell me that that was good or that God's going to bring good from it. But then I thought, okay, here's the deal. I'm me. I'm a little person that was born on the west coast of Scotland. And I'm walking through this life and doing my best job. This is God we're talking about. So if he tells me something and he's never lied, therefore... I have to shift how I read that verse. Wow. So I have to say, okay, here's all the broken bits. Here's the bits that I don't get. And you have promised that out of all of this, you'll bring good. So there you go. Yeah. And it's yeah. like Warren Wearsby writes, we live by faith and not by explanations. And oh, sometimes I would like explanations. Uh, all the but... time I would like explanations, Sheila. That's <laughs> that is that could be my Twitter bio. I would like some explanations. <laughs> But that has actually helped me. It's yeah, kind of, that's I've kind of repositioned myself as really seeing myself as I used to be. I, I came across an old photo on my phone last night and maybe two miles outside of where I was born, there's an, the ruins of a castle. Yeah. And there's also five miles up the road, this beautiful castle. It's still, the family still live there. My sister liked that castle, but I was more comfortable in the ruins of the castle wow. because it, there was something about it that felt familiar. Yeah. And and I find I find myself in scripture verses now, but differently than how I heard them 
yeah. you know, when I was growing up or in seminary or you know, the 700 Club for years. Yeah. I, I take it now based on the fact that this is God saying this. So if there's a problem, I think it's probably on my end. <laughs> yeah. If there's an if there's a misunderstanding, it's most likely in me. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna say 95% of the time. I'll give the Lord five percent, but <laughs> chances are, yeah. <laughs> chances are pretty high. It's an Annie problem. The one in Romans eight that I would love for you to talk about that has meant so much to me lately is Romans eight twenty four that says, Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I just love that. Yeah. Yeah. Hope that is seen is no hope. I know. It's like, how do you even unpack something like that? It's so much bigger than my human mind can take in. Yeah. It's like, it's like almost like I feel like at the moment, like I'm in the orchestra pit and everything that's going on around, because life has become so noisy um, and people are so angry and so annoying and so confused and so polarized. And I'm like, you're out of tune at the moment. (laughs) But I feel as if every now and again, when I get this glimpse of the greatness of God, I almost feel it's like for a second, he just pulls back the curtain. And I get this teeny glimpse of this hope that is enormous. And I wouldn't be able to take more than a tiny glimpse because it would blow me over. But it makes it easier to live with a cacophony here, yeah. knowing that, that that's ahead. There's a big hope ahead. I, the other thing I'm thinking about is when you said that about faith, that we walk by faith, for our friends listening who feel and, and are depressed, who feel really mm-hmm. like they're in a bad season, who feel confused, who h- how do we balance faith and like, walking by faith and having crazy faith, like Pastor Mike Todd teaches about, mm-hmm. and and having these real deep sadnesses or chemical imbalances. Like, how do we hold both of those things? You know, it's interesting. Faith was totally redefined for me by an encounter with one young woman, because I have been part of so many different parts of the church. I mean, yeah. I was raised in a small Scottish Baptist church. Then in, in seminary, I went to a quite high Anglican church. Then for a time, I was in a charismatic church. And so I ended up like, good, good night, Vienna. You tried them I mean, all, what? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then while I was on the 700 Club, I got this letter from a girl and she said, I watch your program three times a day. And sometimes it helps me. And sometimes I want to take my shoe off mm. and throw it through the screen. Mm. And she'd included a phone number. So I called her and I said, I hope you don't mind me calling you, but I just have a couple of questions. First of all, why do you watch us three times a day? And she said, because I have a terminal illness and I just look for any scrap of hope. And I said, okay, this is the real question I want to ask. Why do you want to take your shoe off and throw it through the screen? And she said, because you never talk about people like me. You never talk about people who love God and who are not being healed. You never talk about people who... I mean, it, it just, she just blew me, she blew me away. And that day, after that conversation, I went up to Pat Robertson's office and said, I quit. Wow. And he said, why do you quit? And I said, and I told him about the conversation. And he said, so what do you want to do about it? And I said, we need to start telling her, her story, stories like her, when the marriage doesn't get fixed, when things don't happen. Because to me, that's faith. These people yes. still believe when they didn't get the big woo from heaven. Right. And so Pat was amazing. He, the 700 Club used to be 90 minutes. He cut it to 60 and he gave me the last 30 minutes. 
And she was my first guest. She flew in with her nurse. And what I saw was that some of us are running in the snow and leaving trails. Some people leave like one footprint, but the depth of that footprint is spectacular. Yes. I I think it makes me think of that part in Daniel where the three guys say to King Nebuchadnezzar, we know what God can do, but even if he doesn't. I know. That's faith to me. So we think faith, and there's been so much corruption in our evangelical Christianity of this whole name it and claim it and market and park it garbage. Right. That's not, because my thing is, okay, I spend quite a bit bit of a time in malnutrition clinics in Africa. If what you're teaching doesn't work in that malnutrition clinic, Mm. it's not the gospel. Mm. Wow. Right. And then, right. But then the challenge I feel with that, Sheila, is I do, I mean, the parts of praying and believing and seeing God do miracle things I mean, I do. I, I still love that part of my faith. Oh, me too. And I absolutely believe it. I mean, I absolutely believe. It. So if anybody comes up to me and says, you know, would you pray for me for this or for that? I will always do it Yeah. because I believe God can do the impossible. There's yeah. nothing too hard for God, yeah. but I don't have the right to demand the answer I want. Mm. You know, it's yes. like, it's again, it's like Jesus. If there's any way, move this off the table. Yeah. But your will be done. Yeah. I mean, is that what your prayer life still looks like? Is Do you still like bring the full request and just have gotten better at the surrender on the backside? I'm very good at the first half of that. (laughs) (laughs) I am, (laughs) I'm coming around the back half. I'm getting a lot of practice in the back half, but is that what your prayer life looks like? Yeah. And it was changed just two years ago. I got back from a trip and I mean, you know, it's like you're always tired when you've been kind of speaking yeah. and pouring out. And I, But I had this headache I'd never had before, and it was slightly troubling. So my husband said, let's just go to a drop-in clinic. Maybe you've got the flu or something. Yeah. And they asked me, you know, um, is this the worst headache you've ever had? And I said, yes. And then came the follow-up question. Has anyone in your family ever had a brain aneurysm? And I said, and the atmosphere changed. Immediately, I'm taken to the emergency room. And in the hole, in the car, all I'm thinking is, no, no, no. Yes. I mean, I went from loving my fa- father to be terrified of my father. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, God, you cannot do this to me. Yeah. You can't do this to my son. You can't do this to my husband. Am I going to be, look, my father never got his words back. They were on a shelf where he couldn't even reach them. And, mm-hmm. and so we're, I'm rushed into this thing and put into this huge tube. And the guy who's the clicker yeah. said, okay, <laughs> he gave me this little panic button. And he said one thing that just shifted everything. He said, I'm going to be in the other room, so you need this, because you're going to be alone in here. And in that second, I thought, no, I'm not. Wow. But, I mean, I didn't say that to him, or he would have moved me to a different area right. of the hospital. <laughs> but I suddenly, I had this incredible awareness, Annie. I am not going to be alone in there. Yeah. And I was in it wow. for like 45 minutes, and I found myself praying and saying, Jesus, you, you get this. I do not want this. Yeah. But you have a track record with me. And I know that you love my husband and my son more than I ever will. And you love me. Yeah. And so I'm gladly leaving the results up to you. Yeah. Whatever is going to be the thing that brings you more glory, I'm in. And the thing that's so good about God is I had that peace before I got the answer. I mean, they just said, no, you're good. You just were, you've been working too hard. You need to you know, 
slack off a bit. Yeah. But I honestly believe, Annie, in the worst moments of our life, the peace of Christ is available. Yeah. You're like, can I keep that panic button? <laughs> it's just a <laughs> gift. Yes. <laughs> Man, that's, uh, gosh, Sheila, thank you for sharing that. I think so many of us are in the tube right? So many of us do not know the answer yet. We do not know how this story goes. We did not think we'd be here in whatever it is. I mean, that is what your book is all about is this is not what we thought it was going to be. Right. And, and what do we do with that? What, how, well, how do we hold on? How do we trust that God's holding on to us and believing, believing that Jesus loves us more than we understand? I mean, that is that yeah. kind of what it needs to come down to? I'm having this real-time revelation with you of like, do I just need to go, oh yeah, Jesus loves me more than I remember? Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that's kind of ironic and paradoxical about that is he knows absolutely the worst about me, even the things I'm not even aware of yet myself that will mm. pop up next Tuesday. I mean, right. he knows everything, yet he loves me more than anybody else ever will. Yeah. And when I kind of began to get that in a in a fresh way, for some reason it just shifted everything in me because I thought, okay, not sure, you know, not sure what's going to happen, but I know you've got me, yeah. and I know you love me more than I even would have the capacity to hold. Hey friends, just interrupting this conversation one more time to tell you about our incredible partners, Raycon. I say all the time, what an honor it feels like that you have this podcast in your ears and that you spend this time with me, letting me into daily aspects of your life, like grocery shopping or your commute or your workout. Well done. Don't quit. And I'm also really aware of the content, the music and the podcasts that I allow be in my ears. Well, my Raycon earbuds help me set the tone for what's in my head, whether that's worship music to calm me during stressful moments or the right BPMs when I need a little motivation on a run or listening to podcasts that teach me and encourage me. My Raycons are an everyday necessity in my life. Raycon offers their wireless earbuds in a range of fun colors and patterns with this improved rubber oil look and feel. They're super comfortable and come with a variety of fit options, unlike some of your other wireless options. And Raycon earbuds come with a bunch of gel tips in different sizes that they've recently optimized so you can get the most comfortable fit possible. And they're both stylish and discreet. No sticking out of your ears, no dangling wires or stems. And listen to this because I think this is so cool. Raycon has these three new sound profiles that help you listen best depending on what you're listening to. So it's pure mode for listening to podcasts, blues, or instrumentals, balance mode for you rock listeners, and then bass mode when you're breaking out the hip hop or the EDM. There's also an all new awareness mode for when you need to listen to your surroundings instead, which is very wise when you're out on a walk. Raycons offer eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. And with a built-in mic, you can take calls with the press of a button. Raycons start at half the price of the other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. And they care so much about you being pleased with the earbuds that they have a 45-day free return policy. Go to buyraycon.com slash that sounds fun to get 15% off your order. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash that sounds fun for 15% off. And now back to finish our conversation with Sheila. Oh, that just is a, I, I am reminded again that, that our hope and salvation is about what happens after this, but I, I, I'm very thankful for how our hope and salvation is the nearness of Jesus right now. 
Right. That it Absolutely. is it is not for it is not just about a ticket to the next place. No, no, it's not. It's about this. I mean, it sounds kind of cliched, but he really is my closest friend. Yeah. I mean, it's the first person I say hello to in the morning and talk through my day with. And like the last night, I had this stupid thing where I, I blew up at my, really at my husband, but my son was there too. And over something really stupid, he was telling Christian that, you know, first of all, my son is kind of this old soul and it's just this beautiful spirit. He's got bright pink hair and tattoos and he's just a heart as big as Texas. He's yeah. just beautiful. But my husband was saying something about the way Christian was dressed and that not being good because he's in grad school and he's doing clinical psychology and he needs to be yada, yada. Yeah. And they're having a normal conversation. And suddenly it just triggered something in me. And I, and I just went after my husband, like, yeah. why do you always do that? And it just kind of quietened the whole room. And Christian said, you know, I need to go downstairs, finish a paper. And Barry said, do you want to talk? And I'm like, no. And he went upstairs and I was like, you know, whenever I have a response that's out of proportion to what's happening, I know there's history attached. Yeah. So I still, I'm constantly bringing those pieces of my history into the presence of Jesus. And I, I, I sat, we still have our Christmas tree up from last year. Do not tell anybody that. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I sat at the foot of the Christmas tree yeah. in the Lord's presence. It's like, can you believe that, you know? what is wrong with me? Right. And then there's all sorts of little memories coming back of where, you know, we were the poor kids after my dad's suicide. We got free school uniforms and free school meals and I never wore the right clothes. And, and Jesus showed me, she's like, you're still feeling like you're that little girl, but you're not. Uh, and, and it's okay. Yeah. And just his friendship. Yeah. It's life-changing. Do you think some of, I, I am interested to hear your take on this. Do you think some of the gift of getting married at 38 is the friendship you built with Jesus? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Me too. Because the only person I actually get to tell everything to yeah. when I'm still processing things yes. is you, Jesus. Yes. So we've been married five months and it's Christmas and we're going, we're decorating the tree. And I'm thinking, this is going to be brilliant. Until he takes out the tape measure and starts measuring where all the ornaments should go <gasps> and that they could be <laughs> equidistant. And I said, excuse me a minute. And I locked myself in the toilet and I'm like, Lord, are you kidding me? I've married a nutcase. Right. <laughs> so I talk life over with, with him. Yeah. And then I come back and I say, Barry, that's not the way I'm going to hang them. I'm yeah. going to have them just all over the place. Yeah. And we'll have to be okay with that. Yeah. But it's because I've learned I can talk over everything with Jesus. Yeah. And then I can talk to Barry when I'm not so kidding me. Yes. It's like we've built, we've been married 27 years and we've yeah. built this good life together. Yeah. yeah. I, this summer when I was on vacation, I went on a walk at on the beach and I was talking to Jesus and I just said, why am I like this about this one situation? I was like, why am I like this? Does this make you as crazy as it makes me? And so <laughs> kindly, the Holy Spirit just said to my heart, it's just because you have a really tender heart. And Aww. I was like, oh, it is. You're right. I, I mean, that. I can just like cry saying it to you again. And, and, and I, for all the ways that I've hoped and thought I'd get married in my twenties or in my thirties, mm -hmm. Those conversations are oh, the ones beautiful. that I go like, man, I, I wouldn't trade my life for the one that I have. I wouldn't trade this life for the one I thought I'd have because yeah. of the gift Jesus is to me. 
that I don't wow. know that I'd experienced if I would have yeah. chosen, if I'd have gotten married at 22, that guy would have had a heavier load to carry than you can imagine because I'd have wanted him to be everything. Yeah, of and, course. And now who I marry, I'm like, you're very welcome to come in here. I've got a, a very important primary relationship <laughs> because even on that day, I was talking to Jesus before I talked to a man, right? Like I was trying to sort something out before I messed something up. <laughs> But that's brilliant. And that's, to me, that's life changing. Yeah. It's literally life changing because it's, it never, I mean, it's like no matter where I am in the world, yeah. we're together. Yeah. We, we do have a crew of women and men who listen that are not married yet. We have a lot of mamas, a lot of married friends, but will you speak for a minute to our unmarried friends about how to cultivate a friendship with Jesus and how to, how to really learn how to make him the number one relationship. Teach me too. Teach us how to do that. Gosh, I, I'm not, I never think of myself as an expert in anything. I think <laughs> of myself as a constant learner. I mean, I write books more out of desperation than yeah. I do out of, you know, those moments when you go, Eureka. Right. But, but, but uh, when I got out of the psych hospital, one of the first things that I did, I'm going to go through a period of two or three years where it's just I write Jesus a really long letter. Wow. Um, almost as if we've never met. Wow. Because I felt as if I went to seminary when I was 19 to learn everything I needed to do so he wouldn't stop loving me. Wow. So it was heavily filtered. So I just sat down. I went somewhere out, you know, where it was nice and sat down by a river. And, and I wrote a really, really long letter, kind of introducing myself and, and basically saying, I really really want to get to know you better because mm. I feel like I've been on the fringes. I feel like I've been kind of in a goldfish bowl where I could see you, but there's just something there that's yeah. between us. Yeah. And believe it or not, Annie, that actually was a starting place for me. Yeah. It was just this open, pouring it all out. Here I am. I don't know if you know this. Of course you knew this. Right, right, I don't right. know if you know this. But and here's what I'm afraid of, and here's what I don't think, and here's here's what I don't like, and and then it was just this ongoing conversation of of just talking to him about everything, about yeah. absolutely everything. Yeah. In fact, at the moment, I have a stack of six books to the right of my laptop, and it's just it's just the sayings of Jesus. It's just wow. all the red letter stuff. It's just all the and even I'm reading, I'm sure you've read, have you read Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly? No, everybody is talking about it, though. Everybody's talking about it. Well, I'm just, I'm not far into it, but I love the fact that he says lots of people describe Jesus in different ways. This is the only way he describes himself. Wow. It's the only time Jesus says, this is what I'm like. Yeah. I'm gentle and lowly. Yeah. And so I, I'm just hungry to get to know him him better, to fall more in love with him, to get yeah. this bigger picture of this. I mean, I every time when it gets close to Easter, I get so, I can't really have to even express it. I get like that kind of grief where you feel like you could bend over yeah. of thinking the intentionality of this is going to be the worst moment of my life. Because for that, you know, from like noon till three, when the earth, you know, when the sky goes dark, Jesus is alone for the first time in eternity. Yeah. His father turns away and he says to John, this is your mother now. Yeah. She's not my mother. He's fatherless and he's motherless for three hours. And he purposely did that 
because he didn't want to live without us. And that's just mind blowing to me. Yeah. I think writing a letter feels like such a beautiful thing that we could all do today or this weekend, or we talk a lot about Sabbath and taking a day. So whenever Mm -hmm. you're in my, I'm an Enneagram seven. And so I'm a very, um, and you know this about my personality, but I'm, I choose the fun a lot more than I choose the sad, but on my (laughs) Sabbath day is really when I grieve a lot because I get quiet. And I sit, wow. and so mm-hmm. I'm thinking, man, what what would I say if I wrote a really long letter to Jesus this weekend? Mm-hmm. What would it say? That feels like a yeah. really good practice for all of us. It feels very simple. Write a letter to him yeah. and just mm-hmm. tell the whole truth. A lot of people are worried about writing things down. I have a lot of people push back when I talk about journaling of like, what if my kids see it? Or what if my husband see it? Or what if I, I die and, uh, and my parents publish it or something? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I would just say to people, if you write a letter, write it one time and then you can throw it away or you can burn it or you can do whatever. That's what I did with that letter, yeah, Annie. I wrote it and it was like five pages. Yeah. And then I sat it down. And, and I set fire to it. And as the smoke was going up, that was just my like mailed. Wow. Mailed. Yes. Mailed. That's beautiful. Just mailed it like that. Oh, I love it. I, uh, holding on when you want to let go has been out for a couple of weeks. What has it been like seeing the response so far? Has it just been, I would imagine it's so tear jerking. It's been really nice. Cause sometimes I'll, I like to jump on Facebook live and just say, Hey guys, yeah. you know, how's it going? What's happening? Yeah. And to get some of the responses of people saying, I feel like somebody has said my story out loud and not self-combusted. Wow. Wow. And that's, that, that, that's wonderful for yeah. me. And even just talking about suicidal ideation or, or you know, my father's suicide. I, I got this um, note from a young girl. She's 18. And I could see the tears on the, on the oh, computer page, even though yes. they weren't there. Because it was like her dad was an elder in the church, but had struggled with severe mental illness and had taken his life. And some moron in the church told her that her father was in hell. Oh, gosh. And to be able to say to this girl, no, the second your father took his last breath here, he took his first breath in the presence of the mm-hmm. Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I mean, the the beauty of writing books with this depth is you speak to people's deepest places. The problem is when they share their stories, it's their deepest places. Oh, I I know. I know. So, wow. Wow. Um, Okay. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to make sure we cover? No, you're, I love the way you interview because you don't, you just talk. I love that, Annie. I mean, I've, I have been a fan from afar. I mean, I just, I love the depth of your writing. I love the authenticity and I love that. I love the fact you tell us to get a hobby. Yeah. That's just, so cool. I believe in it. Do you know, I made a list this week where I was like, I have got to cross-stitch something. I haven't cross-stitched anything in 2021. Let's go get your hobby back out. Well, when I thought of the hobby thing, I thought, okay, what can I do? Because I don't knit. I don't do anything like that. So I, I, my son and I go down and we volunteer at the shelter. We yeah. walk all the dogs and walk oh, all and clean it's out. It's a great and, hobby. And I love it. Yeah. So because the show is called That Sounds Fun, tell me what sounds fun to you. Right now, what sounds fun to me would be getting on a plane, flying to Glasgow, renting a car, driving down to air, and my sister and I going for a picnic in Uh. the park where we used to go when we were children. Um, There would be big cages of bunny rabbits, and then if we sat really quietly, the little deer would come Uh, over, and we could. What are you going to eat? Tell me about the sandwiches. What are you going to do? Are you going to make them or are you going to pick them up? Oh, no, we always made them because we always lived on a really low budget. And it was always tomato sandwiches, white bread and tomato sandwiches and salt and pepper and a flask of tea. Yeah, yeah. Millionaire shortbread? No, 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 no. Oh, yes, yes. 
Listen, millionaire shortbread. It can, oh. People try to make it here, and I appreciate it. I do. They'll bring it to shows. They'll like bring it to our live podcast or all these things. They'll bring me a box of millionaire shortbread. It's delicious, but it is like the water is different in oh, Scotland. It, totally, totally. I know. Yeah. My mom made the best millionaire shortbread. Oh, it. Oh, I just. I need to go. I, I, I. My friends listening. Our friends listening have heard me say this before, but my best friends in Edinburgh. They will ship things to me from the U.S. Oh. side, and then I'll just bring it over when I come visit. And like, I have things stacking up in my closet because I wasn't <laughs> able to go in 2020. So I'm like, I still have that pair yeah. of Allbirds you ordered in the fall of 19. So I've got to get over there just because I need some space back in my guest closet. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, it's it's just, I, I Scotland is one of the purest, truest places where I've experienced God. And so mm. it will always be a home to me. So I'm sorry I, I don't like have that. the accent to prove it. So, <laughs> Sheila, I thank you for your kind words about the work we do. And I just can't tell you how much I honor and respect you and look up to you. And so thanks for even making time to do this. Thank you, Annie. I loved it. Oh, you guys, don't you love her? Oh, I love her. Be sure to grab a copy of Holding On When You Want to Let Go. Make sure you're following Sheila so you can tell her thanks for being on the show. If you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me. That's how you can find me. And I think that's it for me today, friends. I hope you have a great Wednesday. Go out or stay home and do something that sounds fun to you. And I will do the same. And today I'm going to eat lunch at Baja Burrito. That sounds so fun to me. Next time you're in Nashville, eat at Baja. It's awesome. Have a great couple of days. We'll see you back here on Friday with my dear friend, Mac Powell. See you guys then. Yeah.